0: Good afternoon. It's May 8th, 2015. and Welcome to the most recent edition of The Late Podcast. That's The Law According to Eric. Coming back with an in-studio guest, Dave Martinez. Our, his third time on the podcast, but <laughs> today uh, we're not going to talk about emerging legal topics or uh, IT and the law or bankruptcy or civil litigation or anything else. Uh, Dave and I, for a long time, have been planning a podcast on uh, 80s music versus 90s music and uh, which is better and which was had more of an impact on our society and both for Dave and I growing up and what's interesting is that Dave and I are almost exactly 10 years apart in age so my formative years, being born in 1972 I was very much a child of the 80s musically Dave, having been born in 1981 uh, is much more of a child of the 90s musically and we've had our offline discussions Probably hundreds of times at this point, <laughs> talking about different bands and influences and in us. And you know, Dave has a background in music. Dave sang in a band, a, a, quite a good band for for many years. Uh, you, one man. that I've had the pleasure of seeing live, you know, once or twice. Um, for those of you that don't know, I'm I'm a fairly unskilled and unaccomplished drummer, but I but I understand how music works. I still need to hear you drum one of these days. One of these days, yeah. Uh, I might I might uh, lay a few tracks. Maybe we'll down do for we'll you. do
1: a jam session together.
0: Yeah, there's not much of a good jam session when all you have is a drummer and a vocalist. Probably have to add a few more pieces to that, but, but I like the thought. So uh, we're going to jump right in, and we're going to, you know, I, as Dave can attest to, I'm very passionate about this subject. We're going to try our hardest to keep this within an hour, but I make no promises or warranties or guarantees uh, at this point. Uh, so to jump right in, the, for me, the, the 1980s is an era of music that I've never come out of to this day everything on my iPhone and iPad iPod back when we were making CDs you know whatever it was they were full of bands and music from the 80s you know it's really the only music even to this day I ever really listen to um, and there are certain bands that I think were, were extreme influences on me uh, growing up and you know that I that bring me back to those years you know when I listen to their songs and um, and I'm sure as, uh, as you are. So my first real big concert in, that I ever attended mm-hmm. was in 1984, and I saw Michael Jackson at Dodger Stadium. Oh,
1: wow. I, I did not know that. That's that actually was, a really cool memory. It was, no.
0: it was 12 years old, and yes. I, we had the worst seats possible. But I saw Michael Jackson. Of course, Michael Jackson's Thriller album came out in 1982, mm-hmm. and at the time was probably the highest-grossing record in history. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had, I think, something like seven or eight top ten singles released off of that album. I remember these are back in the day when there were no digital downloads and you didn't have iTunes Store. And an artist's success was based on album sales and radio play.
1: Yeah, big time. Yeah.
0: And the other mm. thing, too, that I remember specifically about the 80s is that was the birth of MTV. And originally, um. MTV was just all music videos. It wasn't like today where you've got a ton of original programming Where you have content. no music videos. Right, yeah, I mean, you know, real world and, you know, road rules or whatever, you know, all these different things they're doing. Keep,
1: keeping up with the who cares.
0: Exactly, <laughs> that, that's right, well, yeah, the, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but the birth of MTV, and so uh, artists and musicians that may not have been likely to have been signed on their own, mm-hmm. you know, record labels, and you know, in those days, uh, Electra, Sony, I mean, these were like the big Warner, you know, these were the big labels. We're putting out a lot of new bands because of the added exposure now to television, mm-hmm. which traditionally music didn't have. Yeah, you know. So I remember some of the, you know, some of the bands that came out in the, you know, they may not have formed in the '80s, and I don't think that should be a prerequisite. No,
1: you know. of course not. Of course, not. obviously, certain bands may have formed or maybe were doing some things in the decade prior, but when you hear a certain band name, you automatically associate them with a certain decade, and that's obviously the decade we want to, you know. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. So, uh, some of the you know some of the most standout uh, early MTV bands you know you know Duran Duran. Uh-huh. Um, you had Spandau Ballet, mm. uh, Quiet Riot. Oh
1: yeah.
0: Who probably was the pi- Quiet Riot was the pioneer to the '80s hairband uh, movement, mm-hmm. which was as much a part of the '80s as grunge was a part of the '90s. Yeah, uh, very much so. You know. Um, And so, you know, so you had, you you know, you had, what what I think is that 80s music, I think, was originally more fun. Okay. You know, you didn't have a lot of the political messages that you have with bands, you know, that came out later in the 90s or that really, I should say, became super popular in the 90s. No, no, I agree.
1: You know,
0: so like U2, I think, is a great example. Late 80s, U2 had, you know, Sunday Bloody Sunday or early 80s and... But really it was in the 90s that U2 became sort of the face of World Hunger or whatever else Bono, you know, was Mm -hmm. standing up for, you know, but that's what they're most remembered as, you know, most people don't think back on U2 and think of, you know, Sunday Bloody Sunday, they think of... Uh, you know, I don't know. I could, I stopped listening to him after, you know, whatever the <laughs> no, but, but I see with what, or without you, I see, you know, yeah, or things I, like I that.
1: see what, yeah, thank you for that. I see what you're saying by the little inside, uh, I see what you're saying with that, and uh, I would probably tend to agree because, yeah, the, the uh, into the 90s, you did have a lot more groups, you started having more groups that were, I guess, for lack of a better term, you know, sort of more you know, angry and sort of socially conscious. Your the obvious examples being groups like you know, Rage Against the Machine. A lot of rap groups that were starting to come out of that time you know, kind of had that youthful, angsty, kind of rebellious kind of spirit. Um, um, and I don't want to say it didn't exist in the 80s because I think a lot of punk rock uh, and hardcore type stuff that originated in the 80s maybe had that, but it definitely became much more in the mainstream into the 90s. That, that, that kind of angst became more of a mainstream thing in the 90s. So I, I agree with you on that.
0: All right, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take <clears throat> a step back. And I'm going to digress for a second and give a disclaimer that uh, today's show is not going to be the family friendly, uh, typical show. I, you know, mostly because Eric can't
1: help himself. I, I can't, on a topic this passionate. That's right. I'm very passionate
0: about this topic. So, having given you know, so those of you that you know of my five listeners that may be traveling with children, go ahead and you know lower the radio now or your your device. I guess it's not even the radio. You've anymore. been warned. Yeah, um, but I got to say that that's bullshit. That, that's bullshit because okay. true true punk actually mm-hmm. originates back closer to the late sixties, early seventies. Okay. You know, and, and in the '80s, mm-hmm. you had bands like the Clash, mm-hmm. Susie and the Banshees. I mean, these these bands came out and they were huge on the punk scene. The problem mm-hmm. is the punk scene, as it's, by as a whole, wasn't big. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the, the grunge bands of the '90s or the Seattle garage mm-hmm. bands or whatever you know, however you want to term them, mm-hmm. they clearly had punk influences, but they were not uh, really part of that punk movement. You know, they, they weren't... It, this wasn't a resurgence of the Vaselines and these other bands. No, I mean, no, they, no. They, were, they were very distinct.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, punk, even to this day, uh, I, I'd say, like, the, the last 90s band that, in my opinion, was heavily influenced by the punk scene of the 70s and 80s was Green Day. And, okay. you know, as far as commercially successful. Okay. And Green Day ultimately went on to sort of lose those roots. In fact, there's... You know, they, they were heavily criticized and protested for being inducted in the rock and roll hall of fame and yep. you know the, the amount of commercial success because I mean, the bottom line is, if, if your band were a punk rock band yeah you weren't supposed to be successful oh yeah i mean you weren't allowed to be if, if it didn't matter even if it was organic mm-hmm. you know because the clash um just you know the clash is a great example of a band that started off with real punk roots but somebody gave them a contract Mm -hmm. And somebody gave them a deal. And somebody shot some videos. And even in their early videos, if you remember, like Rock the Casbah and, you know, Should I Stay or Should... Not so much Should I Stay or Should I Go, but Rock the Casbah. They tried to, like, go against the grain and make a real comedic, you know, sort of goofy video. And, you know, the public ate it up. And all that did was make them more mainstream. And, of course, all the original supporters just pretty much moved on to somebody else. (laughs) So... You know, I gotta, I gotta call BS. Oh, I can say bullshit. I forgot. You know, I, I BS, <laughs> know, go for it. It's your yeah, podcast. dude. You, that's true for today. <laughs> You do so, what you want. Uh, yeah. So, so I gotta call bullshit on that. I mean, I, you know. But the real question is, is, is there a punk scene today? Mm-hmm. Because I first I wouldn't know anyway. Because I, I, like I said, I stopped listening to new music after 1989. Mm-hmm. But is there even a is there even room for a punk scene today?
1: I would say first of all, I'm gonna go back to the original point of our conversation and say that you know wherever some of the original original you know early you know inklings of what later on became sort of that you know the under, sort of underground you know punk and sort of hardcore scene were where they go back to the 60 70s or whatever most of the most influential you know punk you know sort of uh, lesser known Undergroundish kind of punk rock groups that came out were groups from very solidly in the 80s. The, the Black Flag and the Minor Threat and the Dead Kennedys and that whole sort of era was definitely one that sort of sprang out of the 80s. Now it's it's maybe early inklings were may, maybe predated that, but much of what we now know is that as early punk, the Misfits uh, were were all and you know may have so again had their inklings in the in the as early as the you know 60s or 70s. But most, again, like going back to our previous thing, even though some of the early Inklings may have predated that, I I, I think when most people think of early punk, it's in their mind solidly a very 80s phenomenon. Now again, it was that kind of angst wasn't a very mainstream thing until maybe much later, and you know punk later on and in going into the '90s became more of a of a pop punk, you know, popular upbeat, you know, music that you know barely had a shred of of of, of the if it's if it's early roots, but um, it's the, the those early the er, when people think of early punk, I. I still feel very strongly that people think of of, of the '80s. Uh, there's a great documentary called American Hardcore that actually documents a lot of these sort of early groups from again, like you know, the Minor Threat and Black Flag and Dead Kennedys and and uh, the Descendants and a lot of these other guys who were kind of on that period. So I, I with all due respect, I, I I am still holding by that original assessment.
0: Well, I, I mean, clearly we're gonna you know <clears throat> agree to fucking disagree on this one. But- <laughs> You know, I, will, I will, uh, an interesting, one of the bands that you mentioned in that little diatribe of yours that really went nowhere, but it's okay, <laughs> uh, was the Misfits. Uh-huh. And I remember listening to the Misfits in the late 80s, and then I remember their lead singer, Glenn...
1: Danzig.
0: Danzig, yeah, Danzig, went off on his own. Yep. And his first single was very much a straight 80s heavy metal single, mm-hmm. a single mother. And so he went really against the grain, and maybe Danzig... You know, saw the writing on the wall, or decided to go for more commercial because, I mean, that single was a top twenty single for a while. Oh yeah, I remember. You know, it made some good money for him, I suppose.
1: No, yeah, I remember it was. On, it was. I remember that single also because it was like on. It was somewhere in the mid to early nineties, and it was on like this MTV like emerging artists or like you know you know top stuff that we're playing right now kind of CD that a friend of mine had.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny because you know Glenn Danzig from the Misfits. He wasn't emerging at that point. He had been around for you know 20 years. No, exactly. You know.
1: Yeah, which was well, yeah. I mean, at the time, I had no idea. <clears throat> you know, I wasn't. I you know, I wasn't listening to the Misfits back when they were you know around in the late '70s, early '80s.
0: Well, yeah, you weren't born yet in the late '70s.
1: <laughs> for some of that, yeah, I certainly know. wasn't even. Born I mean, yet. I, I can't. I
0: can't say with any confidence that you would have had the insight to listen to the Misfits anyway. <laughs> but.
1: Oh, well, that my parents would have allowed that. Right, but you know, you, but
0: you get you get a pass on the impossibility card. So <laughs> I'll, I'll let that one go. You know, let, let let's talk a minute though about iconic bands from each era, because okay. I think that it's very hard to pick any one or two truly iconic bands from the '80s that really stood out as being uh, extremely cutting edge or ahead of their time or mm-hmm that gripped a nation of followers of, of fans mm-hmm. uh, you know I think that perhaps you could say that towards the end Queen might have been one of those bands certainly to the gay and lesbian community you know they were they were sort of at the forefront and Freddie Mercury at this point uh, was openly gay and yeah. you know people still attended his shows and they would pack every house they had
1: I mean they were extraordinary they are absolutely extraordinary
0: yeah but aside from that, and then my, my absolute personal favorite band, which Dave knows, would be Bon Jovi. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I look at Bon Jovi not as an iconic band of the 80s, but only as a truly great rock band because they've stood the test of time. And even now in the mid-2010s, Bon Jovi's still releasing albums and still touring and you know still selling out. I mean, these are guys that are the Rolling Stones of their their time, Mm -hmm. you know, or the Who, where they can still pack up their stuff, go out on tour, they're still going to sell out. Their fans are extremely loyal. They reached a whole Mm -hmm. new audience when they did a bit of a, you know, kind of like a country swing for a while and they did some country stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but I can't say that they stood out as an iconic band of the 80s. They were up and coming in the 80s and they... They sort of rose to the top over a lot of the hair bands or, or metal bands.
1: Yeah, they have they, they have definitely had a lot more longevity than any of the, any of those other bands.
0: But wh- but who so but who from the nineties, you know, gripped? I mean, I'm thinking of who I'm thinking of, but I'm going to let you you know come out and say what you want to say, but because our answers might be different. Okay. You know, but but who from the eighties do you think sort of defined that generation of, of music listener?
1: Sorry, so who from the
0: eighties or who from the from 90s? the nineties? 90s. I'm sorry, from the
1: nineties. Well. <sighs> Here's the thing about the '90s. Um, the ni- uh, for me, I look at the '80s as a, as an era of of, of amazing musicianship, of uh, amazing sort of qual- yeah quality in musicianship. I mean, you know, you know, groups who, you know were always very proud of their of of, of the skill and the the the, mechan- the mechanical skill and talent of their guitarists. Uh, their you know how the amazing range of their vocalists and whatnot and I, I for me that was that is very much a uh, an element or a piece of of what a lot of people think of when they think of these you know classic and iconic uh, 80s groups is that they were Excellent musicians and excellent performers, and that was kind of the thing, especially toward the end with the you know the hair band groups, you know those big, larger than life shows, and the um, you know the ex- the extravagant drum kits and the and the fire and the smoke, and like you know it just became bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, and that was kind of, to me kind of the hallmark of, of maybe not originally what the eighties were, but definitely what the eighties was, but you know what the eighties eventually sort of became. For me, the nineties. Was much more a time of just of of breaking away from that larger than life kind of you know way of doing things, and maybe somewhat to their detriment, you know focusing so exclusively on like you know mu- musicianship, <laughs> as groups like Nirvana and so and so you know and some of the you know other punk groups that became you know popular during the time, uh, you know, clearly weren't, you know the. Raw vocals and you know simple guitar chords and you know not particularly complicated you know m- musically speaking not particularly complicated uh, things, but was definitely a time of of more sort of raw creativity and that unfortunately is kind of a harder thing to quantify, um, you know the you know the '90s were de- were you know the era of Nirvana they were the era of of Sonic Youth the era of Beck the era of of you know a lot of Interesting uh, British influenced kind of electronic work like groups like Massive Attack and Portishead. Um, one of the best hallmarks of the ni- and one of the one of the greatest reasons why I think the '90s were one of the best one of the most interesting things about the '90s is that because of that focus on just on, on 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 raw sort of creativity, it was hard for people even to sort of get a beat on. It was hard for record execs and people in the music industry to even get a beat on what was going to. What was gonna hit? Um, Maynard James Keenan from uh, Tool. I think it was in some documentary made the comment and how like it was a great time to be in a band because record executives after the explosion of, of Nirvana and the grunge music scene were so, felt so out of touch with what was going to be popular that they were just signing all kinds of different acts. And so in the '90s, you had a very wide variety of different styles of music that were that were becoming into the mainstream because people didn't know. Record execs at the time just did not know what was going to happen, what was going to hit. So it was anything from ska music to you know a lot of the gangster rap music that became popular. Well, right, Sorry, said, I could yeah, go on and on. Yeah, I, I know. I'm going. To, I'm
0: going to tell you to take a breath. You know, starting to turn red. <laughs> but. but, but but all you've described just now is history repeating itself. Okay. Because in the '80s, when you had uh, Quiet Riot mm-hmm. break through and get off of KLOS, and all of a sudden become uh, commercially played on, you know, Kiss FM, mm-hmm. uh, the record execs had the same thing. They were signing every four or five member band with long hair that put on eyeshadow or, or, or mascara. I mean, that was you know, eyeliner, whatever. That was it. Mm-hmm. You know, there were so many, and I hate to say this because. I, you know, I listened to a lot of these bands religiously, but there were so many bands in the '80s that were bad.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: Firehouse, Slaughter, I mean, all the one-word yeah, you know yeah. bands that were, you know, they had their
1: ballad, then they had their slow song. That's right. Every
0: heavy metal band had to have the power ballad, uh, which was always a second release. So they'd come out with <laughs> like one, you know, popular song, yeah. and then they'd do their ballad. Mm-hmm. And if they were lucky, they'd have a second or third album. You know, if they were typical, that would be the end. Mm-hmm. You know, and they were you know one and done. Uh, kinds of bands, but that that's not uncommon to what happened in the 90s with uh, grunge. If you were lucky enough to have a garage band in Seattle, there mm-hmm. was a record exec that was going to sign you mm-hmm. somewhere. I mean, you, you just had to show up and breathe and play, mm-hmm. because they didn't really know what the, the whole, ba- you know, the gist of the music was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, if anything, what I, what, what I, do, what I also think happened, uh, changing gears a little bit, is I think that you know, the 80s had, in my opinion, three distinct categories of music. I mean, there were several, of course. And, you know, you had bands that played swing still come out in the 80s. I mean, that wasn't, you know. But there were three real categories. You had what was called New Wave.
1: Yeah.
0: And New Wave was a, and that had a subset of what was called the New Romantics. Yeah, You had Heavy Metal, and then you had Glam, Mm -hmm. right? And the Heavy Metal and Glam, I could say, you could argue there were one category and one was a subset of the other, but... But for for purposes of today, because it's my fucking show, and I'm gonna say. That <laughs>
1: yeah, we'll separate. They're it. two fine. categories, okay. right?
0: So, in, in so what what I do think happened is that from the new wave movement, yeah, in those bands, mm-hmm. I think you got a lot of the synthesized sounds that ultimately became '90s hip hop. Because the, the the new wave bands and the new romantics, they were not heavy string instrument bands. Mm. These like mm. you know. Duran Duran, Depeche Mode, Spandau Ballet, all the new romantics that were out there, Thompson Twins, yeah, you know, they were all about their keyboard. They they all had electric or digital drum sets. A lot of them, you know, they weren't, you know, pre-recorded beats into their songs. And so I'm not saying that the style influenced hip hop, but the use of music and music technology, I think, sprung, and the hip hop community created their own sounds. Uh, you know, based on it, because if you look at the, the whatever hip-hop was accredited, accredited to the 80s, mm-hmm. you know, I can really only think of, like, Run DMC, um, Yeah, and, and, you know, part, and I hate it's to say it. It's very
1: fledgling, fledgling, early kind <coughs> stuff, yeah.
0: Yeah, and, you know, the, and I'm sure there's one or two out of our five listeners that are going to get upset, but <laughs> I only think Run DMC became super popular because they did a single with Aerosmith when they redid Walk This Way. Okay. You know, I mean, I don't think Run DMC was going to become the iconic... Uh, founding father of hip hop that they did. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for that, also single because that crossover was the first time that it happened. Really, and it would have been know. the
1: first time that maybe people would have mainstream music listeners would have had some exposure to what hip
0: hop. was. That's right. Because if you t- you take any uh, one of the some of the older kid rock songs, yeah, you know what is that?
1: Mm-hmm. That
0: that's a mesh of hip hop and heavy metal. Fair enough. Right. So you know Aerosmith crossed over with Run DMC and re-recorded one of Aerosmith's biggest hits. Okay. You know. So, I think that that, but so I think a lot of the synthesized sounds ultimately paved the way for, you know, uh, a, a, a metamorphosis of, of the use of technology. Okay. Uh, so, I, you know, so I think the, I think what the 90s have over the 80s certainly is the hip hop movement, the emergence of hip hop. Okay. You didn't have a real hip hop movement in the 80s. No, no not yet.
1: Not yet. Yeah. No,
0: it really hadn't, you know. Okay. So, I, you know, and, you know, and I think that, looking back now in 2015, I can say what an incredible impact Kurt Cobain and Nirvana had on the nation's youth of the time. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that was recognized at the time.
1: Honestly, well, mo- I would say most movements don't really get, most of these sort of things don't really get recognized and, t- and their influence isn't even really strongly felt or, or realized until some time afterward. At the time, it's just some stirring somewhere with some kids who happen to like this one particular guy, and it's not until the years have passed that we're able to look back in hindsight and go like, oh, gosh, this whole ride that we've been along, this is how it started, this is where it went. So, yeah, no, I... I
0: Let me ask you a question. I'm going to shoot out a couple of names of bands that are kind of popular today. Okay. And i, I got to be honest, I really only know who they are because my 15-year-old daughter listens to them. <laughs> I would never have heard of these bands, okay? okay. Uh, but I want you to tell me where you think their influences came from. Because okay. I know you know who they are. I just, you know, okay. Uh, Nickelback and Avenged Sevenfold.
1: Okay. So Nickelback, in my opinion, um, has a lot of their influences in, I guess, what would be sort of grunge alternative and country. The term heartland rock uh, has often been used to kind of categorize Nickelback. And to me...
0: Well, that's John Cougar Mellencamp. Well. You, you know, that, that's sort of the king of that... Midwest rock and roll, you know, at least from the 80s. At least for
1: me personally, when I hear their music, I hear kind of a mixture of 90s era alternative grunge music and sort of country. Avenged Sevenfold, however, I will say to me sounds much more like uh, eight, an 80s, you know, a sort of a reprise of 80s era, you know, metal and maybe not maybe not quite hair band, but definitely metal type uh, group. And even in their stage show and their presence in their they still they to me they seem to like want to re- really recapture that that very 80s era larger than life you know you know kind of uh kind of uh, atmosphere
0: I mean I can't blame them I, I mean Personally. I can't blame him for that I mean you know mm-hmm. the, the 80s were great uh, you know I I remember going to see Iron Maiden mm-hmm. in concert in Long Beach yeah and it, to that point you know so iron Maiden would have been more in the heavy metal category from the 1980s oh, yeah. at least they're you know some of their biggest selling albums and their largest tours were as a result of their you know uh, the work they did in the '80s. Yeah, and they have this character on all their album covers named Eddie, and Eddie is sort of this zombie skeleton, you know, really gruesome looking monster. Mm-hmm. And this was uh, a concert um, in in support of Aces High and you know uh, Power Slave. I can't I, I, the name of the album itself is escaping me right now, but okay. those are some of the bigger sing, uh, singles. And they had like this 12 foot, you know, ro- robotic mechanized Eddie that would come out on stage with all the flames and the fireworks and the sparks. And he would, mm-hmm. you know, walk around. You know. Mm-hmm. And that's right. The shows were, you know, you're absolutely when you bought a ticket, you weren't just paying admission to watch your band on, a, you know, on a small stage and enjoy the music. You were paying for this whole circus act of a show. And that was expected, you mm-hmm. know, with a lot of these bands. So I agree that more the bands from the 90s, uh, I think, toned it down and maybe focused more on music. It's about the
1: music, man.
0: Well, I think that they'd like to think so. <laughs> you know, I, you know I, again, I, to this day, I can't find one 90s band with the exception of maybe the Black Crows, and I think they were borderline. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Black Crows, you know, uh, initial album, Shake Your Money Maker, I think was released in 90, 89 or 90. Okay. So it was right kind of on the edge. Um, and I've seen them live, uh, you know, I saw them actually at the Hard Rock Cafe in Vegas in this place where they called The Joint, huh. you know, and uh, let me tell you, the Black Crow's every fan lit one up, their joints, like, <laughs> the whole theater was, like, a cloud of smoke. Just, just baked. Yeah, yeah, every, yeah, I mean, it was really, really, I mean, it, people weren't even hiding it, you know, they were just breaking them out. And, <laughs> Clearly not. You know, they were, like... Passing them off to each other, you know, where'd you get yours from? You know, oh, is it your sticky this or purple cush that or <laughs> whatever they like call them? You know, yeah, I, I gotta be honest, I was really never into that scene, so I, you know, again, yeah, I, I was just along for the ride, I suppose. Yeah, the so, but so, but you're not answering the question as to who do you think who's the face of the 90s and for music, who's the iconic band or, or singer? It doesn't have to be a band, it could be a solo artist, could be a mm-hmm. singer, yeah. You know?
1: Well, again, if if I and I. I hate to think that I was alone on this, because I'm pretty sure it's a safe bet to say that when people think of like the most iconic band, face, whatever of the nineties, you already know what I'm probably gonna say, and that's obviously Nirvana. They were there was Kurt Cobain and Kurt Cobain and Nirvana basically ushered in the nineties. Um and that whole nineties way of doing things.
0: I think Kurt Cobain, like most every other man mm-hmm. that I know, mm-hmm. had absolute monster potential and then he got married. <laughs> and he got married to someone you know, that Courtney, Courtney Love character or whatever was you know, probably not the best choice um,
1: Yeah, as it is.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I mean, I, there's a new documentary on HBO right now called Montage of Heck which is a two hour sort of documentary of Kurt, Kurt Cobain and from his childhood you know, yeah. on and they do show what a very tortured soul he was. And, you know, he often wrote lyrics a lot by hand, scribbled, you know, little caricatures, character pictures and cartoon drawings that were actually lyrics later. You know, that's how he sort of remembered them. And, you huh. know, but that also shows that, he, you know, that's a true artist. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not like uh, a Britney Spears who hires a team of 10 songwriters, you know, mm. and picks the one that she thinks is going to be the most commercial success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's not, you know, that's that you know, the, the 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 art of songwriting and making music from scratch, I think is a lost art, mm-hmm. and I think it started to get lost in the 90s.
1: And actually here and here's where I'm actually going to be complimenting the 80s in this, in this regard. I would say that pop music was definitely Better in the eighties. I would think. I what I what I saw in the nineties with pop music, especially with all of the the Britney Spears and the Aguileras and all the boy bands and all that sort of thing that became very popular towards the mid to late nineties, was a greater degree of separation between you know more raw kinds of forms of music like rock and roll and hip hop and those sort of things and the more commercially successful and commercially viable ones like pop, You know, popular pop music. I think that the eighties still had a very the, the pop music from the 80s, I think, is a lot of it. I mean, Michael Jackson is the is the grossest and biggest obvious uh, and the most obvious example of this. It can still be very well respected. But I do feel like one of the biggest failings of the 90s, and I will agree with you on this, was that 90s pop music, the 90s is right to me is when pop music became just poison and just became... You know, nothing more than, than, you know, again, picking some pretty face and a team full of writers and whatnot and, and just making music that way. But, that being said, that to me is just, again, I don't want to, I'm not going to sit here and say that everything that came out of the, ni- the 80s was inferior and then everything that came out of the 90s was, was superior. Both of these were distinct decades of music that had their own distinctive, um, you know, uh, highlights and, you know, sometimes lowlights. Um, I think the vast majority of the 80s hair bands are definitely, you know, a smudge or a a smirk of of, of the the reputation of 80s music. But that being said, I still think that the 90s, the hallmark of the 90s was a a wide, eclectic, highly creative, you know, array of music, a variety of, a, a wider variety of styles of music than you did find in the 80s. And that was to me one of the great. Was what, what what largely what made the '90s great?
0: Yeah, but the 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 hairband smudge, as you like to put it, uh, is akin to robbing a Seven Eleven, whereas the '90s boy band is like serial <laughs> rapists that decapitate young minor children. The, you know, I mean, by way of comparison, I mean, you take like Backstreet Boys and New Kids on the Block and that kind of. I mean, that's
1: New Kids on the Block were in the '80s, by the way.
0: No, they, they no, they I, I no, in the 80s. Oh, I am not taking. Credit for New Kids. That was a night. Remember, we said it's not about when they were formed; it's about when they were really popular. New Kids were not a big '80s popular band.
1: Their hit single, "The Right Stuff." I'm a, I'm don't a Goog- fucking Google. I, it. I don't Goog- want to
0: see you use your phone. Put it down. Because it's, a, it's a very simple. Because if I'm wrong, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to, you know, no, uh, you know. And so I, I, I just, I'll just move on. Because I, <laughs> I, I don't want. I, I because New Kids on the Block was so upsetting to me, even as a, as a youngster. Yeah. You know, as, a, as, as anybody, you know, for me, I, I used to, you know, we used to listen to music on the radio. Uh, I'd have a little radio in my room. I would put on, you know, 80s at 8 or whatever it was, top yeah. 10 for the night. <laughs> I would make little cassettes and record them off uh, the radio. You know. I,
1: I, yeah, I, I was still in the era where, where cassette making was still a big thing, so I, I get that.
0: Yeah, so, but when New Kids would come on. And I'm not saying they did in the 80s. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not copping to them. But if they would have, hypothetically, I would have, you know, turned everything off. But again, you look at some of these other boy bands like Backstreet Boys, I'll just stick with them. Right, oh, fair now. enough. Yeah. Uh, know, very obviously 90s I mean, group. Yeah. yeah. They were just, you know, I mean, they obliterated. Because when I think of 80s pop, yeah, I, you know, I don't think necessarily right away for Michael Jackson. Yeah. You know, believe it or not, and maybe this is just unique to me and the music I like, but, you know, one of the, the first. Bands that come to mind when I think of eighties pop would be Huey Lewis and the News. Okay. You know, they weren't really heavy metal.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say I'm like. Eh. You know, they I'm they sure were. I'm gonna follow you there, but go
0: ahead. Well, remember they were more mainstream. Their their singles were played on all mainstream radio. Mm-hmm. You know, they had the soundtrack, uh, the title soundtrack to Back to the Future. That's what really got them popular. Yeah. Right there, you go. Yeah. You could, yeah just. Sorry your I have a microphone in front I, of you know, me,
1: okay? Yeah, I don't know, know what I'm supposed I to
0: do? Know. I got one in front of me, too. You don't <laughs> see me acting a fool and jumping up, you know, but anyway. Uh, but so I think of bands like that where, again, because they, they really weren't considered heavy metal or, or glam, mm-hmm. you know, and they weren't New Wave, mm-hmm. you know, by any stretch. I mean, these were guys that still played, you know, actual solid instruments with strings and, you know, mm-hmm. drums were actual drum kits with, you know, uh, skins on them and, you know, the whole bit. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I so I thought of them a lot of time, and then I'll think of... Singers like John Cougar Mellencamp. Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper. Mm-hmm. Well, Cindy Lauper is interesting because, you know, she she might have been, she could have been mm-hmm. one of the iconic female singers from the 80s. Yep. But, but. she stopped. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a whole period of time where she just wasn't doing anything new. And I don't know. She, I mean, she had been involved in uh, the Feed Africa thing, the Live Aid. Oh, yeah. Not Live Aid. Uh, we Are the World, whatever. Band Aid. No, Band Aid was the British version. Sorry, Band Aid was the British version. That's where you had Sting and U2 and Phil Collins. All
1: yeah.
0: All, by the way, perhaps one of the iconic bands of the eighties were the Police. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I could I could make a good argument for that. And then okay. later Sting, good for you, uh, solo. Uh, just saying, you 90s. know, because the nineties didn't have anybody like the fucking Police or anybody like that. That you know. They didn't have the Police. They didn't have anybody close to them. Who you know? You know what the nineties had? Okay. You had uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'll give you that. That mm-hmm. that one, I'll, you know, and I think that they were, I don't, I, look, they're nowhere near the level of like Bon Jovi or The Police or Phil Collins uh, or Glenn Frey mm-hmm. or the Thompson Twins or Huey mm-hmm. Lewis or any of those guys. But they, they, they did have a significant impact in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I do think that the Chili Peppers music mm-hmm. ushered also in sort of a change uh, in the 90s, you know, where sort of the I would, I would call them almost quasi-punk you know they they weren't really ska they weren't really punk they weren't heavy metal mm-hmm. you know you really i mean they were probably very i mean i not probably they were very unique They're, they had a sound that has tried to be replicated by other bands mm-hmm. but i really think the chili peppers you know they really just did their own thing okay. so
1: a couple things number one i think that the whole business of commercial success. On one hand, you know. To me, I almost have to wonder if commercial. If if. Can I can
0: I stop you for a quick second, just as a as a, as a just as a quick note? Okay. Just for the remainder of our podcast, do me a favor: have your fucking thought collected before you know you start your rant. Okay.
1: <laughs> so I didn't spend like a week. Doing all this research. I like, take this
0: very seriously. Of course okay. you do.
1: I kept I walking in here expecting to install some wireless, so now we're going to do a conversation. Well, you know, I'm <laughs> just
0: saying. It's just, you know, collect your thoughts ahead of time. You'll have time to speak. Okay. All right, go ahead.
1: Number one, I think that when you – even this whole way that you were trying to stumble through, trying to define the chili peppers and who they were, I think you made my point once again about, you know, the – Difference in the eclecticness of the '90s, because in the '90s you have a lot more of those kind of groups that don't perfectly fit into any one particular category. The Chili Peppers is just one example. Beck is another great example. Um, yeah, Beck sucked. You see, you see he did. You see, I'm sorry. No, okay, you Beck, see, Beck
0: sucked ass.
1: Okay, I would say that a lot of very seriously musically inclined people disagree with you. Um, obviously, that group sucks. Is a highly subjective thing to say, and while you may not have cared for Beck very much, the fact that Beck actually, to you, to you, one of your earlier points, is one of the very few '90s artists, especially from the early '90s, that's still making music and still making Billboard, you know, topping, you know, music to this day, is, I think, a testament to the fact that, yeah, he is a still a, was a very good and still a very relevant uh, artist, so to speak.
0: Okay, well, let me tell you something. Okay. Beck goes on tour tomorrow. He can probably fill a fucking McDonald's.
1: Bon Jovi <laughs>
0: goes on tour, and they're packing, you know, stadiums everywhere they go.
1: Okay, so can Britney Spears? So what does that mean? No,
0: Britney Spears is stuck in her Vegas contract, and she's playing one venue. Okay.
1: but a handful of these, you know, to me, commercial success, while impressive in its own way, does not, does not clearly, does not necessarily mean that this is a group that is still putting out. Creative and interesting and innovative music, at all. The Rolling Stones.
0: Well, well, let me throw a fun fact out there for you. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, so clearly you've heard of Justin Bieber. <laughs> clearly. Okay. You know what a success. Yeah, okay. yeah. And I'm sure you've heard of Justin Timberlake. Clearly. Okay. Well, do you happen do you know that Bon Jovi has sold more albums than both of them combined?
1: Okay. Bondi- and you know how I know that? Why?
0: Because John Bon Jovi said so at the concert that you and I attended together. Okay. You remember that? Yeah. You, you did the chicken dance no, after I the... well I, mean, I remember. I remember. Well, yeah. very, I mean, good show and bit- bittersweet because Richie wasn't there, but go ahead. I'm sorry. I well,
1: don't. I mean, I mean, while that's impressive in its own way, Bon Jovi's also been doing tours since before either of those two were born. So, I mean, like, uh, it, the longevity of that is impressive, but you can't tell me that... Bon Jovi is still anywhere near as influential as either of those two. Not that I'm a big fan of either of those two other people, but it's not exact. It's a funny thing to say, but it's not exactly. What, what
0: are you talking about? What's Justin Bieber influential as, as far uh, other than being a dickhead? I mean, wh- what's his influence? Justin Bieber shows America's youth how to disrespect neighbors and you know how to act a fool and be I'm not irresponsible. Justin Bieber. I'm just saying. I'm not. You just fucking said. Uh, Justin Bieber, uh, you know, is a, this influential, uh, more than Bon Jovi. You're out of your fucking mind. How can you say that? Look,
1: How can I say that? Because you could ask anybody on the street when the last time they heard something about Justin Bieber, whether it was good or bad or musically, and almost every single person will say yes, versus if yeah, the last time they heard something about yeah, Bon Jovi, me, most people will say no. I'm not saying it's a good influence. I'm just saying okay, he's maybe, still an maybe influential person, you know,
0: whereas Bon Jovi is not necessarily anymore. Yeah, maybe a nine-year-old would answer yes, but anybody who's been around... You know, I'm just listen.
1: You're this. I'm not, not trying. I didn't want to sit here trying to defend Justin Bieber. I think the kid's a piece of
0: shit. I, no, but, I, you say that but, now, but clearly, yeah, sure. well, but clearly I, 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 he's a more influential person yeah. than Bon Jovi is at uh, this point. Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, it's, oh, it's, oh, okay. it's, this is the no. late podcast, okay? Not the Dave podcast. And Eric says no, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Fuck you. <Who> <laughs> I have to. I have to compose myself. To get back on topic. No, it's kind look. I'm just saying. There listen. are
1: many other groups that I love and respect that are less. That are far less influential than he is at this point. But that to, to me, that doesn't mean anything.
0: Well, why wouldn't it mean anything to you? Isn't isn't part of uh, music success having that level of influence?
1: No, because here's the here's the problem. To me,
0: or does it have to be only positive influence?
1: Here's the thing to me.
0: Okay.
1: <clears throat> Commercial success, in my uh, opinion, does not does not imply any kind of real, again, creativity or or artistic merit in any way, shape, or form. What commercial success tells me is that the group is probably driven, the group is probably disciplined and hardworking, that the group probably has um, some commercial viability, maybe because they're good-looking or maybe because of this and that. But to me, those are the factors that people need in order to be famous and to be commercially successful so creativity can certainly be a catalyst for that it can certainly help but a commercially successful group as many pop groups for many years now have shown us over and over again does not necessarily imply any kind of real music music, music creativity or 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 anything else that to me i would actually really value in music it just means that they they have they they've got good marketing people behind them they got a pretty face and, you know, they've got just that right vibe and just that right look, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily tremendously talented people other than maybe being good dancers. Well,
0: I think, you know, I think we, I, I think that there was, there has not been an era since the 80s that uh, chewed up and spit out so many of those exact types of performers or artists. You had so many one and dones in the 80s, so many one hit wonders that came out of the 80s, you know, that had no long term viability at all they were guys and girls thrown together to you know there are a few of the bands again that they they maybe made their first sort of uh imprint in the 80s you know a great example like the bangles Yep. you know being an all-female rock band Mm -hmm. wasn't easy but you know what joan jett had that gimmick a long ass time before the bangles yep you know and joan jett Mm -hmm. was also a lesbian openly lesbian which was also in the late 70s uh, that wasn't okay to be. That wasn't a cool thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not. You know. Again, we, we do our show unedited, live in studio.
1: At, <laughs> live in
0: office. Right. This is my law office now. We now Fridays we close at three, uh, which is why we're able to do this podcast. But I'm gonna I'm gonna let the phone ring if it's. Uh, if
1: it's, it's it's over. It's over. We can move on.
0: If then. it's important, they'll call back. You
1: know, <laughs> well, hopefully. Not.
0: Hopefully, I didn't just cause someone to lose their house or something <laughs> no. <clears throat> by not answering the phone. But you know, but Joan Jett was also uh, a product of the punk movement. You know, okay. in the late seventies. I mean, you know, because when I think of when I think of the punk movement, I think of CBGB. I mean, that's you know, sort of the analogy that I make.
1: Okay.
0: You know, um, but bands that came out of CBGBs mm-hmm. <clears throat> that moved on. To bigger commercial success, you know, there's not a whole bunch of them. It's not like the whiskey here in LA, mm-hmm. you know, where if you finally got a gig at the whiskey, mm-hmm. then you were on your way.
1: Mm-hmm. And to me, again, that that to me that illustrates once again the point that I was trying to make in that a lot of groups, in fact, you know, the history of art has shown over and over again the origi- the the innovators, the ones who were really the creative ahead of their time ones, you know oftentimes don't get a lot of commercial or monetary success. Um, but history always remembers them with a lot of more reverence and respect. And I feel like a lot more of that reverence and respect <laughs> can be due to the 90s versus a, a lot of what, at least later on, 80s. You're going
0: to you're gonna have to quantify that fucking statement. Okay? I, know, I, I know, I know, I know I am. I, I don't, cause I, honestly, I don't even know what you mean. Okay. I, I, I don't even understand what you're trying to
1: say. Okay, so here's the thing. If you were to ask the average citizen, and again, honestly, this is the kind of thing, obviously, that I can't quantify. But there's, a, but, a, but so much of the, But who, who can quantify so much of of, of, of artistic merit anyway? So this well, is. Well, I can. This is the can, argument because
0: I'm giving you research this, opinions.
1: This is this is the, this is what I'm going with right now. All right, right. Yeah. Okay. Make, whenever you do, whenever you have any kind of movie, make the point. Whenever okay. you have any kind of movie or any All kind of thing where people look back at the '80s, it's always with a certain. With with the, with a smile, with a smirk, because of just the ridiculousness of so much of you know the hairbandness and the and the and the larger than lifeness that seemed so cool at the time, but we look back in retrospect and go, yeah, that was a bit silly. You don't have that same ridiculousness when looking back at the 90s. You just don't, because the 90s was while didn't necessarily have some of the longevity and, and commercial and you know musicianship and seriousness that people put into the music into the 80s, because of the creativity. That people had, and the and the and the focus that they had on just making, you know, interesting music, that the, that era, and those, and and most of what came out of there, is still respected, and is isn't you know, in my opinion, sort of ridiculed or laughed at quite as much as a lot of what came out of the '80s, at least the mid to late
0: '80s. Well, I'll agree with you as far as the movies go. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think some of the most iconic movies of the '80s would be like anything from John Hughes, Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles. I mean, that whole genre of film you know that was exactly that they were kind of cheesy and bad and you didn't have CGI back then or you know these
1: forget CGI but you I'm need just saying, CGI to make good
0: movies well you, you, the 90s needed CGI to make any kind of passable movie really okay <laughs> I mean I don't remember any good fucking movies coming out of the 90s you know I mean oh. yeah Terminator right a CGI. You had, you know, Alien CGI. We're not going to make this, uh, I
1: think, about movies. First of all,
0: first, I'll make whatever the fuck I want. But but putting that aside, that's okay. We can go off the movie topic on uh, another discussion one day.
1: Okay.
0: uh, But but I agree as far as TV and film, but not music. Okay. Uh, Yes, I think there were bands that made you snicker, right? But I think that those same bands, had they had their reincarnations in the 90s or 2000s, would have made you snicker anyway. Because they were, I mean, they were by themselves, they were goofy.
1: I don't see it. And again, other than like some of the, you know, some of the, you know, still highly respected pop groups and some of the new wave groups that came out of there, that whole, the whole 90s, the whole 80s era of like, you know, the hair bands and maybe not quite the metal bands, but the hair and glam bands, but, well, I but look but back and I laughed at now.
0: Okay but, look at laughed at. okay, but look at Kiss. Okay. I mean, they, you know, Kiss, although they, again, they were formative in the 70s, they came out in the 80s. That was sort of their boom. And, uh, you know, the, the KISS Army was formed and the KISS Nation and all the merchandising and the, you have – no, there is no product made that you can't get a KISS logo on something.
1: And that to me, 80s. Who, when the hell was the last time they came out with some interesting music? But we well, sure they we, don't have to anymore. But we sure as hell know that. But that's the point. They're not musicians anymore. They're performers. They're entertainers. And, you know, for what that's wor- for, for, for what it's worth, they're great at it. Good for them. They're great at merchandising.
0: They're great at entertaining. They're hold, great hold, at putting yeah, on makeup. Hold on. Hold on. You're you starting to piss me off. You want to tell me that in order to maintain your status as musician, you can't have commercial business success like Kiss?
1: I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying is... You think somehow if, you lose you know, your musicianship? If, if you no longer are producing anything that's... Any kind of music that's interesting or creative, that are people that... When, you talk, when, you, when people talk about KISS, do they, is their first, the first thing that came to mind is, oh, that interesting song that they, you know, they came out with you know, one, two, three years ago, or is the first thing that comes to mind like the KISS army and the figurines and the action figures? When you, when you bring up the word KISS, the first thing that comes to everyone's mind is, of course, they're a merchandising machine. You don't think of them as musicians anymore. You think of them as, as entertainers and as, as, as merchandising moguls, which, again, good for them. That's you know that has its own merit, well, but it's not the
0: same as being as being. As aren't, being aren't most musicians entertainers?
1: <sighs> it is entertaining to listen to music, but there is a difference between an artist who's a great music writer and one who's, good, who's a great. entertainer. Oh, no, 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 the boy no, no, bands no, no, are, are a perfect no, example of, of the, di- on, the, that the, that the that distinction.
0: No, no, it's not what I'm asking. We're going to step back. Okay, what I'm suggesting is, if you're a cat that can play the most incredible amazing mm-hmm. guitar mm-hmm. at any level uh but you lock yourself in your room you play only for yourself and you never strive to play for an audience to have your music heard by others I, how many of those guys are out there really i mean mm-hmm. isn't every musician to an extent i don't okay i know not every but
1: so most like, musicians to an, extent, to an extent aren't
0: they entertainers okay and, and now it's a question of the degree of success
1: okay no no because there's a difference in, in focus and in emphasis. To some extent, yes. In anybody who's trying to produce music, there is some. There's some degree to which it is to be entertaining. There's some degree to which it's supposed to be uh, fun. There's some. There's some degree to which it's supposed to be, you know, creative. But the groups of the '80s, there was a much high, heavier. Inf- uh, there was a much heavier emphasis on being entertaining than there was on that raw sort of music writing creativity. That's
0: because the 80s were happier times. (laughs) Okay? Okay, maybe. They they, they were. The better, happier, you know, sunnier days Mm. were in the 80s. (laughs) Just saying. You could go back and check through uh you know the meteorological history you'll see that the sun shine brighter and you know throughout the entire decade of the 80s but, but
1: but do you want to start unraveling this a little bit no. maybe everyone just thought they were happier in the 80s and it wasn't until the 90s that they realized you know what things aren't quite as sunny as we thought they were which is no, why you had it moves. wasn't until
0: your generation came around <laughs> when my generation was already entering parenthood and we're thinking you know and, and, and screwed it all up listen I, I make no bones about saying that I don't let my kids play any music in my car except my music. Okay. And that's it. Well, they're so, under your house. Whatever. No, what but the, the point is because the music that I listen to and the artists and the bands that I listen to, mm-hmm. I think, are so much more superior than what's certainly out there today. Mm-hmm. I think that they kick the ass out of anybody that came out of the 90s for the most part. Again, mm-hmm. I'm going to... I'm going to give you Nirvana because, although at the time... Why are you
1: giving me Nirvana? Because, why? because I'll tell you this. Okay. At the
0: time, I don't think Nirvana was a rocket ship ascending group. Okay. And nor do I think they ever wanted to be. I think the beauty of Nirvana and why I think uh, that I placed... Why I place them in such high regard mm-hmm. is because years later, after Kurt Cobain took his own life and mm-hmm. after... I retrospectively listened to his lyrics and his music, I realized after he was gone what an incredibly gifted songwriter, lyricist, musician he was and how well his whole band meshed together and carried the vision of his songs. There are very, very, very few if any bands that I can say that with any conviction about other than Nirvana. You know, and, and again, for me, it's not about in 93, uh, I watched the MTV Unplugged uh, episode with Nirvana and thought they were... The, no. Uh,
1: yeah, it didn't happen. You, you, it was something you didn't really pick up on until years later.
0: Right, but, and I agree that the Nirvana's heaviest success and impact was through the 90s. Mm-hmm. And why they qualify as iconic is because here in 2015, they're still impacting people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They're their documentaries are relevant. I mean, people are making a documentary 25 years later, 50, 20 years after Kurt Cobain's died. You know, dead. Nirvana hasn't put out any new albums in you know the last 18 years, 20 Obviously, years, yeah. right? But for whatever reason, they're still downloaded on iTunes. People still pay money for their music. Uh, there's new projects being filmed. They were just inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Even 2014. modern rock
1: stations like K Rock are still still playing, play Nirvana. Still play Nirvana. Absolutely.
0: That's right. And so you know that's the that's a telling tale of just how Influential and in how important that that band was to to our nation, to our society, mm-hmm. really. So I give kudos for that. And so you know I can't, but Nirvana, you know, to be honest, Nirvana is sort of like the nuke, you know, that you never really want to drop it in this conversation. You just kind of you, you keep yours on your side. I'll keep mine on my side. And <laughs> because I don't think that any band can ever capture lightning in a bottle the way that Nirvana ultimately took off. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's ever going to happen again. Nobody, you know, you take recent deaths of musicians that supposedly were iconic or were had the potential, like Amy Winehouse. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't think Amy Winehouse had anywhere near Kurt Cobain potential. Of course not. You know, I I just think that she was a, a skinny junkie who sang. 40s and 50s style swing yeah you know and you know the beehive hairdo and you know she kind of took a retroactive look and you know retro back to that era and there was a group of people that got into it there were people that used to think she was punk hmm. you know because of the tattoos and you know the, the heavy yeah. you know makeup and eyeliner and stall but i never really saw her as a punk artist no
1: i didn't i don't know who would have said that but all right yeah sure,
0: sure. No, I, I and mean, i agree it's, with it's you. written somewhere you know whatever just saying um so anyway, so we're you know we're we're at almost our one hour point. I promised. All right. I promised David I wouldn't because I, I you know to my audience I I could go for a week on just why the '80s were better and why the bands Dave likes sucks and uh, you know <laughs> me, you know why his music and I and I do maybe one thing we did accomplish today is I do have a better understanding of why you are the way you are based now on you know <laughs> listening to who you like and, you know, musicians. And, <laughs> So on, you know. All
1: right.
0: Uh, but before we, <coughs> before we wrap it up. Okay. Why don't you give me the top three music, your top three musical influences? And when I say let me quantify, when I say musical instru- influences, I don't mean bands that made you want to sing a certain way or play music or join a band. I just mean bands that when you hear them on the on your, well, I guess there is no radio anymore. My yeah. gosh, but. When you flip through your iTunes or whatever, you instantly pick up on them or, mm-hmm. you know, you'll see that band's name somewhere and it'll evoke some sort of emotion or what, you know, so just your top three, three bands that, you know, gave you influence.
1: Okay. I mean, to be honest, like, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, well, not necessarily the groups that, you know, taught you how to sing or whatever, but I mean, to me, like, you know, because a lot of that, those formative at least toward the end of those formative, you know, 90s, early 2000s years, were times where I was also sort of making music. To me, the two kind of go hand in hand a little bit, so I can't help but separate the two. But that being said, I'll just answer your question. the The first one would probably be um, uh, Garbage, which was, you know, came out I think in the mid mid 90s, and then we're, you know, they're still, they just they just came out with a new album recently because they're I think they're touring right now. Um, that would be uh, number one. Um, uh, I'm kind of I'm trying just sort of picking things out here um for me another big influence were uh the deftones um first album came out in 96 or 97 i think and then their second one was in uh 98 and then since then they've they're still putting out albums now and then um other than that i mean like i would say i don't know for me it was like a tie and some of this has to do with like when I actually started listening to music, because as a kid, I was kind of sheltered from a lot of mainstream music. And so like, when I kind of started listening to it on my own, it kind of all just sort of hit me at once. So it didn't hit me in the same chronological order as it hit a lot of other people. But to me, it's almost a tie between uh, Green Day and Nirvana, because those two uh, I received exposure to right about the same time. And so Green Day's Dookie was like a big like, oh my gosh, what is this music, blah, blah, blah. Because it was so different from everything else I had been listening to at the time, uh, and then Nirvana similarly, you know, had a big sort of splash. I mean, I think Nirvana continues to uh, interest me and excite me more than Green Day did. So I would probably say Nirvana, Garbage, and Deftones.
0: Nirvana, Garbage, and Deftones. It took you like two and a half minutes to name. Because you, you know, asked me two bullshit bands. You
1: asked me like within 15 you know, seconds to come up with a, a huge, a huge question.
0: I'm just saying, you know, I mean, okay. You know, and you know, my—I can tell you right now—they're—they're they're the, the easiest, the top three Because it's your me.
1: question, I'm sure you thought about this.
0: Uh, yes, I prepare myself for podcasts, and I do I don't do my prepare research. myself for your questions. I, I don't know that you prepare yourself for anything, but it's not the. Not the point, okay? You know, I don't mean, get I, nasty, but I I'm not trying to get nasty. I'm just saying, nasty. you know, we talk about how many times you know you brought the wrong fucking type of drive or some shit. You know, yeah, prepared, all right? Like, wow. Oh, I know. Oh, so, oh, do we need oh. to talk
1: about something else here? Or like, I'm,
0: I'm we... just saying, you know, eh, you know, yeah. How, how'd that first, uh, the, you know, that upgrade or RAM go that that you ordered? Yeah, <laughs> prepared. Anyway. Uh, are there other me, things we need to discuss here, Eric? Is all right. But if I want to, I will. Oh, obviously. I, 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 I'll, 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 obviously. I'll fucking keep you here. It's obviously. All right, for me. Uh, uh, very, you know, there, yeah. and the third one again is sort of a a wobbler, but it okay. would be uh, you know Bon Jovi without yeah, a doubt,
1: absolutely, and
0: every aspect of Bon Jovi, every okay. solo album, Richie Sambora solo, oh so are, songs, yeah, okay. yeah, uh, all right, Bon Jovi, okay, uh, Queen,
1: okay, And Great. Black Crows, <clears throat> Black Crows, all right, fair
0: enough, Black Crows I felt were just also uh, really ahead of their time, okay, you know, um, and really you know vocalist wise bon jovi probably falls out of that category because i don't think there has ever been or will there ever be a vocalist to match freddie mercury no he was e- extraordinary yeah extraordinary and, uh chris robbins from the black crows is also an amazing singer mm-hmm. you know when he's straight and when he's not all, <laughs> you know because i've seen him live when he's fucked up on stage and you know it really kind of sucked yeah but their studio work i mean his you know and so and of course john bon jovi is you know what I loved about Bon Jovi still do is that they could pretty much cover anything. You know, they, they could sing anybody else's song along with their own, and it would be amazing.
1: Their cover of... What's that... Um, what was the one you sent me again the other day? Um,
0: by the... Uh, yeah, yeah. By with the, the Love My Friends.
1: Honestly, that that uh, that live cover that they did, a beautiful, amazing cover. It really
0: was. Yeah, well, I know. I'm mm-hmm. telling you. It's fantastic. Yep. You know? And so... I think that'll that that ought to wrap it up for today's uh, podcast. Fair enough. Uh, again, I want to thank Dave for coming out, taking the time. Uh, appreciate it very much. Uh, enjoyed the lively <clears throat> discussion. You know, I'm not just an attorney, but you know, I, I try. You know, I'm a teacher, and I, you know, I'm trying to teach Dave a little bit because, as you remember from previous podcast, you know, I I love Dave very much, and we're very close, and. You know, I've known him for a long time, but it hurts me uh, as a mentor uh, to see my mentee, you know, off on these, you know, weird sort of unprepared, uneducated tangents. But that's OK. We'll, we'll just <laughs> we'll leave it for another day uh, anyway. So uh, appreciate you downloading the podcast. And till next time, this is Eric and David signing off. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.